lot of our clients, direct clients, are chemical companies. They either produce or compound plastic. Uh, I, I think, uh, Dave Blaine, you guys are quite familiar with a lot of those use cases and processes. Um, but that's not the finished customer, right? So the customer would be an OEM, whether it's someone in the automotive space, in aerospace, in packaging. Um, really, the end brand is an OEM, and they are in every industry. IHEMP Michigan is a member-based organization backing hemp farmers, seed cultivators, processors, manufacturers, and hemp businesses statewide. Our members are engaged in defining the path to success of industrial hemp from seed to sale and beyond. We are committed to empowering hemp farmers, fueling industry leaders, and educating consumers to ensure hemp flourishes in the Midwest. Our focus is influencing responsible and fair regulation, providing grower education, and enabling full access to the evolving marketplace. IHEMP Michigan advocates for wellness in people and the planet through hemp, and it begins with the farmer. Now, on to our show. All right, thank you very much. We have Eric and Tim from Heartland Hemp Company. Heartland is a biotech company that engineers hemp fibers as additives to plastics. So let's talk hemp fiber, guys. You guys have been in the market actively making things happen for, what, about 18 months now, two years? How long have you been pursuing this? Yeah, that's correct, Dave. Uh, this is Tim. We've been in the market uh, about 18 months. Moved out here to Michigan about 15 months ago and uh, been really focused on better understanding uh, what possible use cases exist within the plastic marketplace. Uh, and we think we found in on some pretty good use cases. So your uh, your big go-to is plastics? Yeah, you know, we took a look at every market in the beginning, right? We took a look at textiles. We looked at building materials. Um, we even looked at bioplastics, to be totally honest. And we landed at the end of the day in the additive marketplace uh, because it just provided the easiest um, go-to-market opportunity for us. Uh, and, and that's where we've really begun to run with it. Um, I think one of the great parts about being here in Michigan is you know, this is the number one state for advanced manufacturing. And more than 60% of injection molding lives within you know, 100 miles of the Great Lakes. And it's really the hot spot if you're going to be setting up an industrial hemp supply chain to support the plastics and, uh, and packaging industries. Certainly, uh, certainly the auto industry is taking a serious look at that. Some of the high-end vehicles, BMWs and Porsches and whatnot, and even Ford is playing around with it a little bit, uh, you know, to use that in lieu of so much plastic. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, the timing is really, really good. I have some inside information I can't quite share yet, but, uh, yeah, that, that would be a really good idea to take a look. And, of course, I know Eric was heavily involved in autos already with Prince Company, uh, so uh, I don't have to tell him about this, right? You're, you're muted, by the way, Eric. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, Michigan's the home for automotive industry, and a lot of us have grown up in it and, you know, really came alongside of it. So it's always good to find your roots back in the automotive industry for sure. So there was a, uh, an article that came out. Uh, regarding you guys successfully obtaining some grant money to do some research. Um, pretty exciting. Uh, maybe you can give us a little bit of background on that and uh, where you're going with that. Sure, I can speak to that, Blaine. Um, yeah, so, you know, just to recognize um, the work that we put into that. 
So we were collaborating with some of the people that are in the industry that you know, Corey uh, Vanderswag and uh, Rusty Peterson and Christy uh, Apple, uh, all coordinated on, on the grant that we submitted at the time, which was back in uh, February. And actually June, to take that back, was in June 2021. And uh, yeah, we were, were excited to be uh, you know, awarded the grant. Uh, our focus on this is to basically quantify uh, the impact of uh, hemp has on soil, carbon, and input conservation, and, and leverage. In doing that, the farms actually leverage regenerative farming practices as part of the um, requirements for the grant. And uh, yeah, we just want to um, get data. It's all about the data. It's demonstrating um, that industrial hemp cultivation with regenerative practices is a scalable climate smart agricultural system. Uh, and it can give the USDA and the industry kind of the supporting data that will help advance the cultivation of hemp across the United States. So um, we're focused on, you know, quantifying the carbon and then what that means in terms of monetizing that and carbon credits in the future. And um, it's uh, about, big, very big, yes. Yeah, right. it's um, approximately 100 to 200 acres um, that we're basically going to be growing um, for this grant across uh, multiple states in the United States. And uh, we it'll be a three-year project um, that, you know, pretty much comes forth with a, a final report that will, will be published. Go three years, so it'll be a while before we get the information out. I'm assuming, we, will you be able to share information along the way or will we have to wait till we get to the end of it or? No, no, we intend to do some uh, annual um, release of information that we have. Uh, we'll work with the USDA on that in terms of how we coordinate that. Uh, but yeah, the expectation is that we'll be doing some, some annual um, reports on it. So are you working with other um, other businesses, other growers in these other states, or somebody else handling those in the other states? Are you are you? Well, I'm getting. I guess are you coordinating or overseeing the whole thing? Yeah. So we're going to be contracting with um, right now. The plan is to contract with Christy Apple to help pretty much facilitate the network of agronomists in local areas where the farms are going to be located. So we have a, a list of farms that we're pursuing, and we're actually uh, re, uh, accepting uh, additional um, farms to participate. So we're actually adding to the list as we go along. And uh, yeah, it'll be a, a program that uh, leverages the local agronomist in the area to, to basically do some of the work. We'll be on farm uh, doing samples four times a, a year and uh, sending those samples out for two different types of tests, a Haney test, a soil health test, and then a dry combustion uh, test for carbon. And will this be um, uh, grain, fiber, and CBD crops? Or what crops primarily are you going to work with? Just mainly fiber. I have a farm. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I have a farmer up in Alpena that's been chopping at the bit to grow a little bit of fiber if you need another plot. I don't know if Alpena fits your mix. Yeah, we're always open to uh, take a look at it, Dave. Okay. So I'll take that offline for sure. I'll let you know. So the hundred or two hundred acres—that's total. Total for the yeah, that's total. We're looking at about five to ten acres per okay. per plot. Uh, we think there might be some below that, maybe three acre range, uh, and when when it's all said and done. But that's the uh, that's what the grant was structured around—about hundred to two hundred acres total. 
And so you're going to test it in various climates and latitudes and things like that. Is that what you're going to do or what? Yeah, right now it's a 10 state um, footprint. And we may change that up a little bit as we finalize the final um, footprint as we have additional farms wanting to join. But um, at least, uh, you know, 10 states across mainly Midwest and some, some out to the um, east of uh, the East Coast. Hmm. Excellent. Awesome. Yeah. So no. I know I'm pretty excited about uh, you're doing something quite big here in Michigan as well. Um, can we talk a little bit about that? What your plans are and where you're going with that? Yeah. So uh, this last year we had a wonderful opportunity planting with farmers here in Michigan. Uh, we we got to learn you know what works with industrial hemp farming and what really does not work. Uh, that that both counts with. Uh, planting practices and harving, harvesting practices. Uh, so we, we put together a strategy after this last year's learning lessons and we're looking to significantly scale up production for next year. Are you currently um, uh, working with farmers and taking contracts at this point or are your contracts all full? And Yeah, so we are actually going into field prep tomorrow. So we'll be field prepping at our farms tomorrow. Um, I think by and large, most of the fields are uh, finalized, but uh, there could be, depending on distance and location, room for access. Uh, but by and large, we had to get everything set up, get seeds ready to go and uh, get prepared there. Um, so basically you're, you're really just renting the ground from this year, right? You're not really having the farmers grow and buy from them. You're running the ground, doing the seed work, doing all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we, uh, you know, we learned really early on that coming out of the 2018 farm bill, there were a lot of farmers that had uh, uh, the wrong expectation growing CBD and they didn't make the money back. And uh, it was treading lightly with a lot of the farmers trying to understand a lot of those pains. Uh, so we decided that um, there were different paths that would reduce risk for them, give them more guarantees. And you know, yeah, it's, it's a little bit more burden on our business model, but that is the, the cost of doing business and the cost of kickstarting this industry here. Uh, and after this last year's uh, work in understanding how to plant and harvest, we had a pretty comfortable uh, model in place to move forward. So you have all the equipment that you need in place. Uh then do you have any extra capacity? Uh, from farming equipment? Yeah. Yep, so we're just wrapping all that up right now. Um, as I mentioned, we'll be going into uh, field prep and planting in April. Um, from a capacity standpoint, we could theoretically probably pull in more. Uh, it would just all have to come down to region. Yeah. What about uh, decorticating? You know, your is your decorticator is that out out in uh, Southwest Michigan? Uh, yeah, so we actually don't decorticate. Uh, the use case that we're looking at didn't necessarily need uh, any longer natural fibers. Oh, we're micronizing okay. product and then rebuilding it into an engineered uh, finished product. Okay, uh, that's that's where the. Uh, the engineering hemp fibers for plastics part of our business comes from mm. one of the things we learned very very early on was that natural natural products just don't blend well with synthetic polymers or synthetic plastics made from petroleum 
Uh, so there is something in between in the engineering process that allows the bonding of the, of the two materials. Uh, and that's what we've really focused in on our business. The, the micronization process for us is a fairly simple and straightforward way of uh, breaking the plant down. Uh, we see the building it back up process being the more sophisticated um, engineering. Yeah, it really makes a difference. I know just in our Frisbees that we did, the, uh, the long fiber versus the short fiber Frisbee, this one is like a tank. I mean, it, it'll knock your teeth out. It's uh, so hard. But uh, where the second Frisbee was a different, different uh, uh, pellet, different different mix, really makes a difference. Yeah, it does. And it, it's that's when the chemistry gets into it and the mechanical processes. So uh, it's it's been quite a journey, a lot of trial and error at the end of the day, but mm -hmm. uh, we're pretty confident with the solution that we've got in place right now. And a lot of the clients we're working with, uh, I've seen a lot of really good success so far. That's good. So is most of your clients at this point then here in Michigan? Or do you have, is it out of state as well or? Surprisingly, no. <laughs> most of our clients are not here in Michigan. Okay. Um, you know, to some extent, they operate in Michigan because of the plastics market, uh, but most of them are not Michigan native. So where do you see right now? I guess you guys have a you know pretty good overview of the market situation. How are you seeing this whole thing from the supplier side uh, and the buyer side? I mean, where are you seeing this go? Um, I mean, I, I absolutely see more adoption here in Michigan. Um, really, in the first year or so, we were looking for lowest hanging fruit and the early adopters. And it just necessarily wasn't Michigan uh, corporations that were the first to bite. Um, although there are quite a few Michigan companies, uh, a lot of them are scattered throughout the Midwest and a little bit farther west. Uh, so, you know, really what we can do on our end is just further drive education. Uh, make sure we're able to get, you know, a voice in the room and have these conversations with people who are making decisions on uh, different types of plastic they're going to use for the next five, 10 years. And, uh, you know, when we can have that conversation, you know, so far we've seen some tremendous success in helping, uh, helping surpass those sustainability mandates that people are starting to adopt. So it's just a matter of time and uh, time and engagement. So what types of, without giving away names or anything, but what types of companies are interested in working with you on this project? I mean, in the sense of the end user. Yeah, so a lot of our clients, direct clients are chemical companies. They either produce or compound plastic. Uh, I, I think, uh, Dave, Blaine, you guys are quite familiar with a lot of those use cases and processes. Um, but that's not the finished customer, right? So the customer would be an OEM, whether it's someone in the automotive space, in aerospace and packaging. Um, really the end brand is an OEM and they are in every industry. Uh, we've seen a lot of, lot of interest, uh, automotive. We've got aerospace marine has a lot of use cases, uh, specifically because there's bottlenecks and supplies for a lot of materials today. Um, they're just unable to get their hands on things that they traditionally had no problem getting access to. Uh, and then another big one that's starting to pop up is uh, industrial packaging. 
Yeah, and I can only speak for the cannabis industry. A lot of uh, the players that I talk to would love to get into hemp-related packaging, more mm-hmm. biodegradable. And you think about the target audience, a lot of them are millennials, and they're really into the you know climate change and the environment and all that jazz. So it's yeah. also a great selling point. Uh, but the problem is the hemp packaging is, is more expensive right now than the traditional packaging, like the plastics and whatnot. And so, and, and you know, with the economy the way it is, they, they can't make that commitment if there's a big differential in pricing for the packaging. But I mean, there's a real big need for it. It's just, you know, the, the economics don't work right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And, you know, when we first got into the market, we were very interested in doing bioplastics, uh, which is the actual plastic itself and not the additive. And, and we found really quickly that there's a lot of friction. Um, you couldn't get the chemical companies to work with you. It was very competitive in nature. Um, and, you know, really came down to price and performance at the end of the day. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, these, um, these, these plastics cost a buck, a buck 25 per, per pound. Uh, and a bioplastic will run you seven bucks. And no matter how much you fill it, it's still going to cost a lot of money. <laughs> So, you know, it's something they are considering. And as much as people want to be more sustainable, it's, it's, it's difficult at those price tags. And, you know, one trend we've noticed, especially with the younger generations is, you know, recycling is going down on a consumer level. Um, and what people really want is, uh, call it biodegradable, call it compostable, but they want to keep their same habits but know that the end product is better for the environment. It's and kind of the EV, the EV situation in the auto industry. You still pay a high premium if you want to be, you know, an electric vehicle, not even a hybrid, going totally electric vehicle. A lot of people want to do that until they find out the how much part. And then they go, I don't know. And then they, they go to the hybrids or they just go back to internal combustion again. But it's, it's the same scenario there, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, and I think they did a good job starting in in the higher end models where you can have, you know, a little bit higher costs in those realms and then working your way down towards a mass marketplace. Uh, And in a lot of cases, it's similar to the materials aspect. Uh, You know, we have to start in some of the higher end plastics or rubbers and then work our way down to the, you know, lower cost polymers like a PVC, for example. Yeah. What can we do to help you, uh, you know, make things happen here in Michigan? It seems like we need to do a lot of education yet, you know, yeah. make people aware what what can be done. Yeah, it's, it's really multifaceted. On one side, you've got agricultural, right? We're talking to farmers all the time, trying to uh, really engage them that industrial hemp is no different in the rotational crop than corn or soy. And it has benefits in soil and carbon that far supersede a lot of the existing row crops. Um, and then on the other aspect of it, uh, trying to reduce some of the stigma in the manufacturing space and pushing towards adoption um, so that people can actually utilize these products in, in their finished products. Uh, and really that's an educational process, right? Hemp is, or industrial hemp is coming out of a, a, a longevity of being illegal. And then it's 
it's just now starting to separate from CBD, which I think is, is probably going to be the bigger challenge. Um, CBD did a wonderful job of separating hemp from cannabis. Um, and now it's this last piece of separating industrial, whether it be fiber or grain from CBD. Uh, because a lot of the clients we work with, you know, they hear the word flower and they panic. They think cannabis, you know, they, and it's, it's a lack of education. They just don't know that these things are different and uh, it, it can confuse them when, you know, someone might say, you know, we grow hemp and they mean CBD, but they might be insinuating fiber. Uh, those kind of scenarios can uh, confuse buyers or people in their education process. And that's something we've done you know, a lot of work to try and separate the two. Uh, because I think the industrial marketplace uh, deserves to really be in its own category. Mm -hmm. Well, Dave, you ran into that with your Frisbees. What was it, a bank ask you how much THC was in your Frisbee or something like yeah. that? Yeah, and it wouldn't have been an issue if hemp wasn't in the business name. You know, it would have flown right under the radar because we're selling outdoor sporting goods equipment. But because hemp's in the name, then it throws under a high-risk category. And I... I Heartland Industries, you know, you, you were smart. You didn't put hemp in your name. <laughs> yeah, we were actually very specific. We, we kept hemp out of the name and we stayed away from the color green. There and, you go. You know, the, the deep red was very intentional to try and, you know, separate in that way. And uh, it, a lot of those small, subtle pieces were just takeaways from the cannabis and CP market. Yeah. Yeah. Why make it harder than it needs to be? Yeah, I think education is key because uh, I was on a call with the USDA, USDA today and they were just fascinated about the use cases for industrial hemp. They had no idea. Hmm. So um, it's interesting to, to watch their reaction and observe their reaction because, you know, that's why we're excited about this. We'll hopefully get, you know, the USDA with some information that also includes, you know, what we're doing with this at the end of the day, right? And the, the applications of it. So um, that's amazing. The USDA wasn't even aware of that, really. They were not because when um, this particular grant was awarded, they were they kind of read they labeled it incorrectly and said it was used as a cover crop. So they thought that this project was all about using hemp as a cover crop. Uh, um, so once I reeducated them on that, um, said no, we're going to grow this and we're going to actually use it uh, in industrial applications. Uh, they perked right up, right? And there, there's a lot of questions. And um, of course the grant won't go into the end markets uh, for this particular project, but I just, just goes back to your underlining the point about education. Um, they just don't know the applications um, beyond what's, you know, on the front pages, right? Yeah, a lot of, and there's a lot of misinformation and, and a lot of it's come from the industry, you know, you know, like you were talking about the unrealistic expectations, you know, that are, spread out there so so yeah. are you able to use um uh, any of the varieties to make your product the cbd stocks the grain stocks the fiber stocks or are you kind of narrowing in on one particular variety or kind uh so we've we've really narrowed in on the fiber stocks today uh, specifically a couple of different varieties that grow best here in the colder climate uh, last year when we planted, it snowed the next day, uh, which was a little bit terrifying, to be honest, um, uh, but ended up working out extremely well. And uh, 
you know, we've stayed away from column waste, CBD waste, cannabis stocks because of the associated smell that might be with it. Uh, that's something that we just didn't want to have to have the conversation with a plastic manufacturer, why they're, uh, why their manufacturing sites smell like marijuana. Um, and you know, it, it's, it's just been a policy that we've had internally. Hmm. <clears throat> so last week we had, um, um, James E. Decker and, um, Phil Abetti on there with their trials. I don't know if you got a chance to see that or not. Um, but it was really a great one. And they did some trials there. And I think, uh, some of the trials they did is some of the varieties you're going to be using. Yeah. So interesting. If you haven't seen that one, you might want to see what, what information they put out on that, so on, on the uh, different different aspects of those varieties. They didn't do too many too many fiber ones, but they did some. So, yeah. Awesome. We'll have to take a look at it. Yeah, you know, we um, just because there's a shortage in fiber, you know, we've been working a little bit with grain fiber as well. Um, we don't necessarily see the same concerns from a fiber quality with grain-based fiber uh, and just growing it that extra 10, 20, 30 days, depending on the yield or the variety. Uh, so that's, that is a potential application, but mostly staying within grain and fiber soft. You know, I was looking on your website and uh, your Heartland team, and uh, you've got quite a a lineup of people here on your team for your executive stuff and everything so um, how did you how did you how did you uh manage to corral all these great people yeah so you know generally speaking we put together a plan with a big idea uh you know we're looking at reducing the carbon footprint and reducing plastic usage around the world by a sizable percentage you know we're looking at and interested in changing agricultural practices and trying to help farmers quantify the value of adopting regenerative agricultural practices. And then furthermore, talking about the impact that that has. I mean, most people have seen a lot of the documentaries on whether it be Netflix or any other channel talking about the environment we live in today. And you know, this is one of the largest and greatest problems and opportunities, one might say, uh, or challenges that exists in our world. And you know, bringing together great minds, they feed on that kind of excitement. Um, and I think Eric could probably add some some more into that as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say I came from uh, a career 26 years in manufacturing. And um, the last 15 years of those 26, I was building a sustainability strategy for a company with, you know, 100 facilities in 30 countries and 200,000 employees. And, um, you know, I struggled uh in those days, 15 years ago, and convincing people um, to really make some bold commitments around sustainability. And we always had to try to find something that costs less, right, was equal in specs, you know, met the specifications equally and, and was didn't cost as much. Could never really find that silver bullet. So when I saw this, and I uh, mapped it to the fact that it was just uh, beginning to become a market, you know, 2018 farm bill, I thought, you know, if I had this 15 years ago, I probably could have made a lot more impact uh, or help our company make a lot more impact at the time. Um, so we finally have something I believe that, um, you know, has already kind of left the station and it's, it's going to keep just building and building. And it's a phenomenal uh, solution for big companies looking to um, offset their carbon and 
you know, meet their carbon neutral requirements. I think over 2000 companies now have committed to carbon neutrality, which you're not going to do that without uh, finding ways to offset your current carbon. So, yeah, I think that's going to be the big driver. It's just kind of coming together now. We're uh, I'm working with some people in that particular space and the language is still kind of loose right now, but uh, once they solidify that, uh, yeah, I think that's going to be what's going to really drive this thing. That's exciting. How, how hard's it been to raise the funds that you need to, to do what you need to do? Yeah, it's been it's been quite challenging. Um, by and large, there's a very very few institutional investors, so we've been very focused in private investment, private capital. Uh, so it's it's been an uphill battle, yeah, but at the end of the day, we've gotten some spectacular traction. We've got a wonderful team, and uh, we've brought in great investors so far. Excellent. Oh, if people want to get, I think on your website, you've got you want to join our team. So if people want to get involved with you, um, either by backing or whatever way, um, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Yeah, I mean, one of the easiest ways is, is to just fill out the form on the website. Uh, we reply pretty quickly, uh, whether it be via phone call or email. Uh, and each individual page is a different contact form with a different uh, method and meaning behind it. So depending on which one, you know, we'll have a better idea of, of what you're reaching out for. But yeah, as we start to grow into this year with our first full harvest coming out and production coming online, uh, there's going to be prime opportunity for expansion. Another thing you might want to look at, I don't know whether it would work real well for you, is crowdfunding. Um, it's pretty popular. And then you're going to get a wide swath of people, but you're going to get a lot of people investing, you know, whatever the number is, a couple hundred dollars a piece or something. And after a while, that turns into real money. But I mean, this could be something that, again, getting back to the millennials and the earth conscious people and the global warming folks, this is something that maybe they would really see as a lot of benefit in, you know, having a piece of this action. I'm just saying it's something to take a look at. Yeah, no, we, we did. We took a look at crowdfunding in the beginning. Uh, it was a different legal structure than we were set up for at the time. And uh, we decided to go down the private capital path. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's fascinating because you know, as we look into the future for our business, you know, we are trying to in many ways mimic what Tesla did for energy. Uh, we're looking to do for materials and material science. And, you know, Tesla's is one of the first car companies to really build a following, right? There's, as crazy as it sounds, back in 2012, people didn't follow Ford and Chrysler in the way they follow Tesla. Uh, they created these evangelists. And, you know, when you look at the material space, you know, out, outside of really people who live in Michigan, you don't know a lot of, a lot of chemical companies or material suppliers or, you know, no one just pops into your mind as, as that, that brand you stand behind and you're really engaged with. Uh, you you might have seen you know, a bad documentary about a chemical company or something like that. But you know, holistically speaking, there is no big brand that people can really you know, get behind and get excited about. So I think there's potential in the future from simply a, a PR standpoint, right? You know, putting in a small amount of capital for a, for a crowdfund that isn't significant to the raise itself to mostly gain attention on a public level. Yeah, you get somebody putting in four or 500 bucks and you get thousand of those putting in four or 500 bucks, you got some real money there. 
know, but you so, also get those evangelists is what Tim yeah right right at. you get them yeah. they, they're all it's excited everywhere. about it they got a piece of the future you know mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. yeah yeah we all need to drink the kool-aid <laughs> you bring up their website dave so people if they went to there they would know what website they're going to yeah here's heartland industries Very cool. Have now, you uh, picked out your location in the Detroit area yet? Have you nailed that down? Uh, not specifically. Uh, we haven't finalized with the building, but we're looking between, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Eric, between Farmington, Rochester, and, and Detroit in that little triangle. Yeah, we're definitely looking kind of north of Detroit area. So. Drew Kitt has a question. Who had, somebody has a question, who? Yes, Drew Kitt. Drew Kitt has a question. Are you accepting fiber varietals or have they been selected? Are you accepting fiber varietals or have you been, or have they been accepted? Have you already picked your, for this year? In other words, do you want to try some of the varieties or have you already picked what you're going with? From a seed standpoint? Yeah. Yeah, so we, we've picked for this year. Um, there might be opportunity for trial plots, but we saw some pretty good successes last year with uh, varieties we ran. Uh, so there'd have to be some pretty compelling um, data behind it that, that made us choose different paths. Cool. All right, well, Guy, uh, I guess uh, one other question I got on it too myself is that, so you see working with hemp right now, but do you see your vision, your dream, uh, working with other other material as well at this point, or just really the NF or like other natural fibers? Is that yeah? The... Mm -hmm. So you know, we've also run that conversation around quite a bit. Um, I think, truthfully, uh, probably not. Uh, and there's a couple reasons behind that. One, you know, natural fibers outside of that can off blacks they've been legal forever uh, but for some reason no one's ever adopted them and you know I always ask myself why well you know if they cost less if they're sustainable if they're you know xyz why haven't people been putting these into plastic forever uh, and I, I truthfully I couldn't come to a, a reasoning behind it and I really settled down on you know there's something sexy about industrial hemp that people like and somehow, some way, the carbon story has been so effectively tied to industrial hemp. Um, and we've tied a lot of our business to the carbon story. And um, most of our business is helping you know, these Fortune 500 companies become more sustainable and exceed their sustainability mandates. And you know, the story is there. It's told with industrial hemp. And I, I, quite frankly, I don't see it with a lot of the other natural fibers. So. You know, me personally, I don't think we're going to pursue other natural fibers in the near future. Uh, but there could be something that changes, and, you know, a new piece of data or information arrives, and it makes sense to adopt something else. Uh, we do want to pursue more derivatives of the industrial hemp plant for uh, whether it be plastic or other material additives in the future. Uh, we do, you know, as a biotech company, like to see ourselves in the material science space and innovators and tinkerers. So that is something we'll pursue over time, but today it is 
specifically engineering hemp for uh, for plastic additives. Okay. Well, super guys, we appreciate you taking the time today and, uh, and kind of informing everybody about uh, you know where you're going and what the, what's out there um, and your dream and your vision for this. Uh, it's pretty exciting to see that. I'm, I'm certainly glad that it's happening here in Michigan, obviously, <laughs> for a lot of reasons there, but we're glad that you've got out here. And if, we can, uh, we'd love to, uh, we, we certainly will uh, have you guys invite you to come to the expo in May for sure, and be able to tell your story there. Uh, so that'll be exciting for you to be able to share that with everybody there as well, so, yeah. And when you nail down some of the details and all this stuff, be sure to let me know as well, because I have a pretty good audience that's also interested in hemp. So, yeah, that MI Tech News would even be a good space for that. Uh, would be another space. That's my other operation. That's, yeah. that's technology and, and general business. And I have about 10,000 readers there. And so, but these are all business pros and whatnot. And that's where you run a reach, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. I love that opportunity. Appreciate that. So, so Eric, how do we get Dart Corporation to come out with a solo cup made from hemp? <laughs> it's interesting. We actually had some discussions with um, one of the companies that does all the egg cartons, um, yeah. and uh, and and essentially they are a company of chemists. Um, so uh, very strict um, requirements around how they would do that because it touches the food, mm. right? Um, and they've got some other things going on with egg cartons right now and trying to get away from the uh, styrofoam uh, egg, egg cartons. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I hope to find it. I hope that's some yeah. of the legacy. I hope that's some of the legacy we can all point back to and be proud of the whole industry, right? Yeah, when we called Dart Corporation a couple of years ago, they didn't have any clue anything about hemp. Not a, not a iota. It wasn't on their radar. So... It's interesting. A lot of work to be done, gentlemen. We appreciate all your efforts and what you're doing. Yeah, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll have. We'll definitely uh, uh, want to continue this story as you move through the year and hear about uh, the successes and and, uh, and and see where all that goes for you guys. So we look forward to seeing that. So thanks yeah, a lot for that. Forward. So, Blaine, do we have a recipe for this we week? We got a recipe. We got a little bit other news first that we'll do, and then we'll get into the recipe. But uh, so a couple things. Uh, of course, we talked about Rachel, the program going there in February, but also NOCO uh, on the 15th. Let me bring it up here. Uh, so the 15th of January is the uh, last day for um, reduced prices for the NOCO show out in Colorado. That is in March 20. Let me get it here quickly. Maybe I can't. There we go. Oh. Yeah, it's the end of uh, March so in Denver. Yes. Uh, that's what I was trying to get the date on here is what I was trying to get quickly. But um, so that's coming up. Uh, I want, of course, a big show there. Uh, March 23rd and 25th is where that is. So if you're interested in going to that, again, the, uh, the deadline to get some reduced tickets on that is the 15th. For that and of course uh, we're going to have uh, the next boat here here in in Lansing uh, in Michigan and Lansing uh, in May and we'll be getting more information on that out very soon so another great opportunity for you to come and learn more about hemp and what hemp's going to be involved in all of our lives as we move forward so um, sounds like my grandson's trying to get in the office <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, he wants to come in and see Grandpa. Uh, so, anyways, yeah, well, with that, uh, any last comments before we get into the recipe? Anybody, Mike? Uh, your show next week? Anything yeah, we're going to have Rudy Patros is coming on the show. Uh, he has uh, Securitech, which is uh, in the cannabis space. Uh, everything has to be on a camera, just the way the regs are. And that's what Rudy does. He does all the the uh, camera stuff and all the various whatever. I mean, whether it's grow operation or cultivator or uh, processor or dispensary. But uh, back, oh, I guess it was in November, uh, Grady Evans, who does marijuana security operations, passed away from COVID. And uh, he, that's a big operation. Again, in the cannabis space, you're transporting cannabis. It has to be with secure, licensed operators. You just can't throw it in the back of the car and drive it somewhere, right? And so what uh, Rudy did was buy MSO, and I've been trying to get him on the show now for, I don't know, six weeks. He's a busy guy. He's going to be on the show next week to talk about how those combined operations are going to work together. And then what I mentioned earlier on, the Lamonte Farms uh, with the uh, milk cartons uh, where they have different strains of cannabis on the milk cartons, and that money then goes to support uh, the prisoners of cannabis, essentially, those folks that went to jail for growing it when it was illegal. And, and now, of course, everything is legal. And, and some of those they're trying to help get out of jail or the other case was if they have a felony on the record, trying to get their lives all straightened out because, you know, it's tough when you got a felony on your record. So kudos to them. And we'll have them on the show to explain what they're doing as well. All right. Another great show, Mike. You always do that great show. So. Thank you. All right. Dave, any last things you want to throw out there? No, sir. Okay. We well, are... it's nice to be back. Oh, nice wait, to be... I have the hat, Blaine. Can't do this right now. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Right. It's coming. It's coming. Here we go. All right. <clears throat> that one, that good? Yep. Look right good. good. All right. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's good to be back home. Uh, this week, I'm back in the home studio. Uh, um, so it was nice to be back here today and, and take care of this. But we're going to do cauliflower hemp soup. It's that time of year when it's a little cold out there and soups are pretty good. So, uh, again, you know, I like quick and kind of easy things. So this is a pretty easy one. It's a tablespoon of olive oil, uh, cloves of garlic minced, uh, onion diced, a head of cauliflower diced, a carton of vegetable broth, and two, a tablespoon of salt, um, a half a cup of uh, hemp hearts. Uh, grated Parmesan, if you like that kind of uh, seasoning, and uh, two tablespoons of parsley. And heat the olive oil over medium heat, place in a large pot or Dutch oven, and place add the garlic and the onion to the pot, cook until it's translucent, or it's clear kind of thing. Place the diced cauliflower and vegetable broth in the pot, bringing the mixture to a boil. Cover and reduce the heat to simmer to 15-20 minutes until the cauliflower is cooked. Add the hemp parts and the salt. Pour into a soup into a blender. Uh, and blend until smooth, pour in a bowl, sprinkle with Parmesan, parsley, more hemp hearts, and serve. So mm. pretty easy, pretty yummy one, and it's probably also very good for you as well. So yeah. and keep the vampires away, two cloves of garlic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And unfortunately I, I, I don't I can't tell you where we got this one from. I don't see it on the page right now. This is from Jesse. This from Jesse? Okay. Yep. Sweet. All right. Well thanks Jesse for that. So that's what yep. we got. So anyways, I want to thank everybody uh, for joining us again today. Um, thank uh, Eric and Tim and uh, coming on. Keep up the great work, gentlemen. Yeah, and uh, keep up the omen work there. 
And uh, next week we'll have Scott Colville on. He's going to talk a little bit about the insurance that's available for people that are growing hemp. Uh, so that's going to be our show next week. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Okay. All right. Okay. See you all Good. next week. All right. Thank you for listening to the iHemp Michigan podcast. Have a question, comment, or suggestion? Email Dave at iHempMichigan.com.